You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hi, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I'm your host, Kristen Maxwell, and in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own life. Today, we are going to be talking to Captain Tom Bunn about how to end panic attacks and lose the fear of flying. Tom Bunn, licensed clinical social worker, is the author of Panic Free, the 10-day program to end panic, anxiety, and claustrophobia. The book is the result of his many years addressing flight panic in his role as an airline pilot. He is also a licensed therapist, regular contributor to Psychology Today, and a former U.S. Air Force captain who flew the Air Force's first supersonic jet fighter, the F-100. That's quite a past, quite a story. So, Tom, <laughs> welcome to your superpowered mind. Thank you very much, Kristen. Thanks. It's, it's not often that I have set talk to people who have such a wide variety of backgrounds. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've had several lifetimes already. <laughs> yeah, definitely not boring. So my first question is always, what superpower did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind? Well, the, 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 the superpower is something that we all potentially have. We have what's called the autonomic nervous system. Auto, first four letters, tells you it should work automatically. It's got two parts, one that revs us up, one that calms us down. Easy way to think about this is your car. You've got an accelerator pedal and you've got a brake pedal. And it seems that <clears throat> almost everything that you hear about regulating yourself is about not getting revved up. It's like, do we have a brake pedal? Well, we, we're supposed to. We have the computer for it, but we may lack the software. Almost half of us don't have an ability to automatically calm down. And so that leaves us in a position where we have to manage not getting revved up. I mean, literally, if you had a car and you knew the brakes weren't very good, you couldn't, use, you couldn't go very fast in it. It'd be very limited in what you could do with a car. You'd be very careful about hitting the accelerator pedal because you wouldn't be able to slow down. Right. This work is all about, wait a minute, what happened to the brake pedal? How are we going to get that to operate? And what I found years ago was that when people linked being on the airplane to getting engaged or marriage vows, that helped calm them. Didn't know why. But a, a researcher, uh, Stephen Porges, discovered, he kind of stumbled on it, actually, discovered that the parasympathetic nervous system is activated by signals that we humans pass unconsciously between each other. And when wedding vows are taking place or engagement is taking place, that's a moment when we're accepting the other person completely. Um, what he's found is that when we're with other people in a social situation, ordinarily we're picking up signals that we're physically safe, but we may not be picking up signals that we are emotionally safe. People are judging us, criticizing us, checking us out. Don't know about that guy. So we 
you know, dogs sniff each other out with their noses. When they meet each other, you you see them yes. <laughs> sniff each other. Yeah. They decide whether they're going to yes. <laughs> be be interested or or fight or play or mate. And and what we do is we sniff each other out without even knowing that we're doing it. And the signals that we pick up unconsciously, according to Steve Porges, can, if they're benign, calm us down by activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's not totally on or off. It's uh, it's can be gradual. We can get a, a signal that we're physically safe, but when we don't get the signal that we are emotionally safe, we're still somewhat on guard. And so what we're looking for now that he's made it clear why engagement and wedding vows were so helpful. Now we're saying, well, it doesn't have to be something that dramatic. It can be any time you're with a person who is not judgmental with you, because I'm assuming they're physically safe. Mm -hmm. you're, you're with a person who's physically safe and they're psychologically safe. That activates your calming system. So now what we can do is just see if you can find a person in your life who is not judgmental with you. I've had a few clients say, I don't know if I can find somebody like that. <laughs> but, but hopefully most of us do. And in fact, if you have the, the maximum version of it, you have a person who sometimes when you're with them, you feel your guard let down. So once we identify a person who has that calming effect on you, now we know how to push the brake pedal. So now we say, okay, where do we want to push the brake pedal? Is it going to be in taking an MRI, uh, crossing a bridge, being in an elevator, or on an airplane? Then we can apply it in those situations. Okay. Yeah. So, wow, you've got a, you just said a lot there. So let me go back. And um, I love the analogy of the brake and the the car and getting it to go. So you've discovered that people can calm themselves down when they have a um, a memory of somebody who is calming. Yes. Them? Yeah. Um, there was some research done at the University of Arizona just this year that made it very clear. They took 102 people, uh, all of them in committed romantic relationships. They tried three different calming interventions or potentially calming interventions. The first third, uh, they put them under a stressful situation with monitoring devices and said, distract yourself by thinking about what you did earlier today. And then they checked the results with that distraction intervention. The second group, one by one, they said, while you're in this stressful situation, think about your romantic partner. And they checked to see what response that got. The third group, they said, oh, guess what? Here's your romantic partner here. <laughs> Just walked in. So you, you guys sit together while you're in this stressful situation. And of course, you know, that was very helpful. The thing that was amazing in the research, the people who simply thought about their significant other had just as much benefit as having the person physically present. Wow. So that kind of answers the question. We can use a memory of being with another person and that will activate our calming system. So let me ask, and I, I know the answer to this question because I've read your book, but um, so let's say I'm on a plane and I'm panicking. Am I able to just think about, because I have to say, I used to have a really big phobia of flying. I don't any longer. But um, would I be able to just think of a calming situation and calm down? 
<laughs> That's kind of a day late and a dollar short. Exactly. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> what we need to do is before you get on the plane, you need to establish links in what's called unconscious procedural memory. Um, that's a part of the brain that's not troubled by stress hormones. It's in the subcortex. Cortex, when you get stressed, doesn't work very well. We can get overloaded. And that's what happens in panic. You get so you really can't do anything to help yourself at all. Right. Uh, and But before you even get on the plane, actually days before, you want to train your mind to unconsciously take care of you by, let's say, Okay, let's say you're think about a, a, your friend who's coming to be with, and and they they have a photograph of the plane taking off by their face. Well, okay, there's safety signals coming from their face. There's a picture of the plane taking off. Those things get associated. And the second place, Poor just found that there are signals coming uh, from the other person in addition to their face, the quality of their voice. So you imagine the two of you hold a corner of the picture each, talk about the plane taking off in the picture, and um, doesn't matter what you say, it's the quality of your friend's voice. That's where the safety signals are. They're getting connected to the takeoff. And then while you're having that conversation, you notice your friend just put their arm around your waist and they're giving you an affectionate hug. So that's the third thing, face, voice, and touch. The three things that activate the calming system you connected them to the takeoff. Then you want to connect to turbulence and landing and even just getting on the plane and all the things you could think could go wrong. And you want to link to the things that happen if you start to panic. So if you start to panic, it stops right there. Wow. Okay. So I want to go through and unpack a little bit more of what you said. But mm -hmm. before we do that, we do need to go to a break. So where can people learn more about you in this process and your books? Well, we have two websites. One is easy to remember, fearofflying.com. There's a lot of free stuff there and also courses. And uh, the book is SOAR, The Breakthrough Treatment for Fear of Flying. Uh, that's on Amazon um, as well as other places. Then for panic, uh, the book is panic-free the 10-day program to end panic, anxiety, and claustrophobia. And for that, I have a website, panicfree.net. Great. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more to Tom Bunn about how to end panic attacks and lose the fear of flying. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. And we want to thank each of you for making Superpower Up the number one podcast network for personal development and spiritual growth. Because people like you have the courage to say that mindfulness, healthy living, disrupting reality, the pursuit of consciousness, responsible entrepreneurship, and radical parenting matter. We now amass over 1 million downloads monthly in more than 90 countries. Our numbers keep growing because there are far more people willing to live divergently than mass media wants to acknowledge. For you, the change makers, the light bearers, the way showers, we say thank you. If you're ready to take the next step in your evolution, go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz. And as Neva Lee Rekla, our youngest podcaster, likes to remind us, remember, we all have superpowers and we can change the world. Welcome back, everyone. I, I want to back up a little bit um, and just 
because it's just, I, I, I am curious, you know, how did you go from being uh, an airline captain to working with the fear of flying and panic? Well, I was at Pan Am and we had a captain there who started a fear of flying course, one of the first uh, fear of flying courses. And I worked with him as a volunteer. Um, his approach was to learn more about how flying works so that you know it's really controlled. Plus, how do you deal with the feelings? He said, do relaxation exercises. You can't be relaxed and fearful at the same time, which is true maybe, but just because you're relaxed doesn't mean you can't get fearful. <laughs> so right. we, at the end of the course, had what uh, we called a graduation flight. We would take people up for a 30-minute flight or so, and we would be on the flight with them. And time and time again, there was a person there doing their relaxation exercises, their breathing exercises, and a full-blown full state of panic. So it was pretty clear those relax, relaxation exercises didn't do the job. So I kept saying to him that we should add some cognitive behavioral therapy techniques to the mix. And he said, sure, we'll do it. But we never did. So that's when I, in 1982, set up my own program, SOAR, and added cognitive. And it helped some people, but it didn't help everybody. You see, if a person's anxiety develops slowly, they may be able to say, oh, let me use this cognitive tool and, uh, and, and poke that in here and to keep myself from obsessing about being on the plane. I can just sort of stop the process of getting revved up. But other people, <laughs> when they start to panic, it's like a rocket going off. They get so quickly into panic that they have no cognition available to do cognitive tools with. And so that group is actually most of my clients. So I looked for a way that would work automatically. There was a therapist who came up with thought stopping. She said, um, put a rubber band on your wrist every time you think a negative thought, snap it, cause yourself some pain, that'll inhibit the thought. And I thought, well, okay, um, that sounds yeah, like it might work, but it sounds also kind of crude. So I thought about what re what about thought redirection? What if I train the client every time they think of a flight situation to remember some moment in their life, which was kind of a big deal? And see, at this point, I didn't know what was going to be helpful. I just thought a big experience would override a small experience. As I started working with that, I had a client who said, I'm going to link it to nursing my child. And I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding. You're going to get on the plane and think you're never going to see your child again. But she called back a week later, said she had a perfect flight, not a bit of problems. I thought, that's weird. But anyway, I didn't think much of it until it happened repeatedly. And then something's going on here. And this was about the time that Sue Carter, big expert on oxytocin, had discovered that when a mother nurses a child, she produces a huge amount of oxytocin. Oxytocin pretty much shuts the fear system down, can't produce stress hormones. And the idea here is nature sets it up so that, you know, it takes a while to nurse a child. So maybe halfway through, what if the mom got anxious that she's got other things she needs to do? I got to stop nursing and do those things. Well, nature protects the child by, she can have the thoughts, but she can't have any stress hormones that give her any real urge to stop nursing. She can have the thought I should do other things, but eh, later. So it was clear that that worked. But then what about the other things? That's As I kept experimenting, then I found this other thing, the wedding vows, the uh, getting engaged was working. 
So finally, after some years, it became clear that we were not really doing thought redirection. We were just doing Pavlovian psychology. You know, Pavlov rang a bell, right. the dogs and so on. Then he could just ring the bell and they would salivate. So we were doing two things. One, we were getting the out at, by linking the airplane situations to nursing. We were causing the person when the event happened on the plane to unconsciously remember nursing and produce oxytocin. That keeps you from hitting the gas pedal. The other was, if you link it to a moment with a person who's completely accepting, activates the calming system. So it took a while for this to become clear because it took a while for brain scan technology to help us figure out how the brain works. Right, right. So for men who don't nurse. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's an interesting thing because guys get oxytocin. Well, it's more than one thing. For example, when you hold a newborn child, you get oxytocin that's supposed to cause bonding. That's the other thing oxytocin does. Mm. But males at orgasm get oxytocin. And you know what happens. Guys fall asleep and you get pretty annoyed at your right. You've been <laughs> deserted. But what nature's trying to do is with this big blast of oxytocin before he conks off, he's thinking, oh my goodness, I've got to be with her forever. Because if there's a child that develops from this activity, nature figured it out, the child's going to be better off with two people rather than one taking care of it. Right. So men could link to that moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And then there's also uh, good foreplay that, uh, and this is more for females than males, uh, shuts down the fear of getting physically close. And then this last one I really love, interacting with your dog. Actual research, when you interact with your dog, you produce oxytocin. Why? The dog looks at you like your lover does. You're the only person in the world. I'm totally devoted to you. And of course, as you know, you can depend on your dog the next morning. The guy, who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But you can't. That's why dogs are so reliable. A woman's best friend. So those are the things that produce oxytocin. One more, getting a long hug, 20 or 30 seconds produces oxytocin. Oh, that's so we can link any of those things to walking on the plane, sitting down in the seat, the door closing, push back, taxi out, take off, and so on through the flight. Great. So, so your your process has people go through envisioning each of those steps mm -hmm. of whatever it is, whether it's flying or elevators or whatever, and. <laughs> imagining this person or this oxytocin inducing event and imagining the visual, the vocal, the touch while they imagine like getting on the plane. Is that yeah. If it's, if it, if you go back to the idea of Pavlov and his dogs, it's kind of like if Pavlov could have said uh, to the dogs, Hey, I'm going to ring a bell, but I want you to imagine food. <laughs> then Maybe that would be the, an analogous to what we're doing. Yeah. This can all be done in memory. You don't actually have to walk through it. Although if you do have a dog, you can sit down with the dog and print out some pictures we have on the website and link them actually in real life. But uh, you can do it just fine, just through imagination. Wow. So how long does it take to, to link and to the point where your nervous system is not going to ramp up into panic or it's automatically going to stay calm? I've had some people who just did the linking exercise for one or two days and got on a plane and they did okay. I'd rather, you know, they have three or four days at least. 
but this linking can work very quickly. Wow. That's amazing. Cause when you're, when you're panicked about something, it feels like it would take forever to get out of that and avoid. That. Well, yeah. And that's speaking of that, you know, think about your cell phone when your cell phone rings, as soon as you answer it, it calms down so you can have a conversation. So now let's go to the part of the brain that releases stress hormones, the amygdala. Let's say your amygdala comes up with something uh, that it thinks could be a danger. It's going to ring you up with stress hormones and make you feel stuff. And I think most people have, as soon as they get this feeling of alarm, they downregulate it to a lower level of curiosity. Oh, what's going on? But I think the people I work with who have trouble with flying is they don't have that circuitry that lets them use their parasympathetic nervous system to downregulate. Mm -hmm. uh, when they get a shot of stress hormones, they stay at a level of alarm for one or two minutes until the stress hormones just burn off. And unfortunately, on the plane in turbulence, you get another shot of stress hormones well before two minutes is up and then another one and another one. So you stay in a state of very high anxiety, maybe even panic as the stress hormones build up in turbulence. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. So is your, how successful is your method? Well, it's, to me, it's amazing, surprising. You know, I, I got to tell you, I, I, every time I work with someone, I still have this strange feeling, I hope this works. But if I look at the stats, it's, it's astounding. Um, the, the number of people who uh, – I sent out a, a, a survey to uh, a few hundred people who've been through the SOAR program. And we have one that's nine hours long of video and two hours of counseling, and we have some shorter ones that are about half of that. Um, and the ones who went through the longer program, I, I asked them, did you have panic on the ground? Yes or no? And then after the program, do you still have panic on the ground? And then did you have panic in the airplane before? Almost all of them said yes. And did you have panic afterwards? And it was in the, in the 80% range where people had panic in, on the airplane, 80% range they'd had panic on the ground and no longer had it. Wow. It had got, the panic had stopped. Yeah. And the thing that's really astounding is all this time I had been buying into the idea that you see about cognitive behavioral therapy. It's the gold standard treatment for panic. And when I started realizing that people are getting this benefit on the ground without us even focusing on the ground, we were just focusing on the airplane. It generalized to the ground situations. And so I took a look and uh, have a, one client who's a, a researcher and does statistical research with, with people for biological products. Um, and so we started looking into what is the actual remission rate with CBT? Turns out 16%. One person out of five or six gets benefit to the point where panic stops with CBT. And we're running 80-some percent without even trying. So that's why I wrote the book, Panic Free, because there's no reason why people need to not have a method uh, available to them when they can, instead of going to session after session of CBT and not getting very good results, read a book and two or three days later, 
not have panic attacks anymore. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I, it's funny as we're talking, you know, as I mentioned, I used to not panic on airplanes, but I pretty much had a pretty much strong phobia of it. I was highly anxious and I dreaded, dreaded flying anywhere and I would put it off and avoid it if I could. And I, what I just realized is I followed this process without even realizing it. I had friends who lived on a hill above the San Diego airport and mm-hmm. we would sit outside and ah, have a glass of yeah. wine <laughs> yeah. and watch the planes take off. Uh-huh. And I sat there and watched plane after plane after plane take off while I was really relaxed with my friends. And then it got, I would get on and I still do this and it's, oh my gosh, 20 years later, I get on the plane and when we're taking off, I imagine sitting on the balcony with my friends watching planes take off. Your friends are still psychologically active with you. Yeah. And linked to the plane taking off. Yeah. And I'm super calm. And now I, I enjoy flying. I look forward to it. Kristen, let me tell you that when I was a kid, my, my parents had a florist business, and one of the people who worked there in the florist business was a, a black guy named Ennis. He was about uh, 10 years older than me. And uh, I grew up in a very religious family, and so it seemed like every <laughs> everything I did was wrong. Uh, a lot of judgment. But when it rained, Ennis, his name, Ennis didn't have work to do in the garden, so we'd go sit on the front porch and watch it rain. And he didn't judge me. He was the only person in the house that didn't. And so we would sit there and, and just in, the, in, in North Carolina with these big thunderstorms, the, the rain would pool in the street. And as the rain then came down, the raindrops would kick up the water and he would say they're jumping jacks. So we'd sit there and watch the jumping jacks for an hour or so. Uh, Did that many times. Years later, in the Air Force in Germany, bought a race car. And in Germany, in Europe in general, when it rains, they don't cancel the race. They just go ahead and run it. And most drivers are terrified of racing in the rain. But when the rain started, I got calm. <laughs> I didn't ah. know why. It just felt, I just love racing in the rain. Why? Because Ennis was with me. It was like your friends sitting there <laughs> watching the planes land at, at San Diego. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I really, it's, I get a feeling of peace when I'm on a plane and I picture that. And sitting there. So yes, it really does work. And I was terrified to fly. So this is, um, so now what it works, why it works. (laughs) You can, you can take your friends and, and in your imagination, because you're not going to be able to do it any other way, probably, but you could imagine being in an elevator or waiting for an elevator or, uh, having an elevator stop unexpectedly. Or you could look at, link it to an MRI machine or, or bridges or tunnels. You can link it to anything. But you see, you don't have to just link it to a thing. You remember the thing about the cell phone ringing and automatically calming down? Yeah. You can also link it to arousal itself so that when you get revved up, you automatically get revved down. And the way you can do that is simple enough that someone listening to us right now can get it. Once you can identify a person who you feel comfortable physically and emotionally with, then 
as soon as you notice you got revved up, and actually look for it because we try to maybe ignore it, but start for the next few days, try to be mindful and, and pick up the release of stress hormones, the feelings you get when you get stressed. See if you can pick it up at the very threshold of awareness. And immediately imagine your friend just walked into the room, says hello to you, comes over and gives you a hug. So do you see what we're getting? We're using arousal to in first manually, intentionally, trigger calming. And we trigger calming by your friend's face when they come in the room, by their voice when they say hello, and their touch when they come over and give you a hug. So after you do this, you know, a few times a day, tomorrow and the next day, you'll build in this circuitry that's needed to calm us down every time we get revved up. Wow. So you're saying that if I... If you can notice yourself starting to get revved up, picture this person, this calming person coming over, looking at you, being with you, giving you a hug in this situation, and your body yeah. will calm down. And so your body's going to learn to how do it to automatically. Automatically calm down when you start to get. That is pretty cool. <laughs> and I think that if you go back to early childhood, that's what happens for a young child that when the child gets upset, the caregiver, usually mom, presents what? Her face, her soft, loving face, non-judgmental, hopefully. And then her voice, she talks to the baby. And the baby doesn't understand the words, but nevertheless, the quality of the voice has an effect on the parasympathetic nervous system. And then touch, being held, rocked, hugged, and so you get the face, voice, and touch, the three things that activate the calming system. And the research, research says if this happens 51% of the time, that the child gets completely calm to the level of being held and totally calm, the child becomes securely attached to the parent, if the parents or the caregiver, whoever it is. Yeah. That's the good news. The bad news, and this is shocking, the, the researcher says that if the caregiver just one time frightens the child, the child will not be securely attached. And, and if you just think about it, how many of us who are parents didn't lose it once in a while? Ugh. So if, if we can say that, you know, maybe 40% of our children overall are not securely attached, maybe we just lost it once or twice. And, and that may explain it because obviously we calm our children when they need it. So what's missing? Probably we weren't calm enough ourselves at times and because of kids to feel a little uncertain about whether they're safe with us. So that's really interesting because, so this is way off topic, but this is fascinating. My first child was very colicky and mm -hmm. like crying hours a day. And I was a lawyer Mm -hmm. I was only working part-time, but I was very stressed. So I wonder, I'm sure I was not always calm and present. So can you undo that? How do you, well, I mean, that's you what, that's an awesome what, relationship. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're doing really, because what we're saying is that the, the, the thing that didn't go well about what we call secure attachment is that the child doesn't learn to activate their parasympathetic nervous system very well or automatically. Mm -hmm. And what we can do is we can 
do that exercise every time you start to get revved up. Imagine someone who is non-judgmental with you comes into the room, says hello, and gives you a hug. That will allow revving up to immediately be followed by calming down, and then it'll get to be a habit that works unconsciously. And the other thing is, <clears throat> when there are situations that we can identify that cause trouble, we can just very deliberately link the sequence of events that happens in that situation to uh, the calming to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. But then not, remember, we got the gas pedal. We can also block the gas pedal with oxytocin if we can link um, oxytocin to the situations that cause uh, us to get revved up. Right. So thinking about before it's even going to get you upset. Yeah. So wow, this is fascinating. Well, yeah, I, I find it fascinating too. And, 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 you know, I just, I'm literally astounded when, when I hear time and time and time again, people talk about it working and, and then I hear it, it working so often once in a while, when I get someone who says it's not working, then we have a phone session, we figure out what's uh, going wrong. And what it tends to be is they say, well, you know, I feel really relaxed when I'm on the beach. So I linked it to being on the beach. And I said, well, yeah, but the reason you're relaxed on the beach is because there's nothing there to upset you. What we're looking for is something that will calm you down when you get upset. Oh, okay. So the light bulb goes on. So how do we do that? Well, you look for a person who has this calming effect on you. And yeah. you look for a time when you produce oxytocin. So that's really funny because a lot of um, anxiety, you know, calming techniques, they tell you to envision your happy place. But I know. you're saying that's not going to work. It has to be your happy person. That's when my red flag goes up when they talk about, I link to my happy place. No, 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 that's not it. It's that's not going to help. <laughs> uh, this is fascinating. Well, I know there are a lot of people out in the world who are struggling with, um, if not full on panic, really ramped up anxiety. So this is awesome that it's out there. Where again can people... Um, learn, find you, find about your books and your programs and all that? Well, uh, the two websites, fearoflying.com, that's pretty easy um, for the fear of flying side of it. That's a very specific one. And then for just dealing with panic and anxiety, uh, panicfree.net or look up panicfree on Amazon. By the way, you can, you can go onto Amazon and click on the cover of the books, SOAR, the Breakthrough Treatment for Fear of Flying, or panic-free, and click on the cover and read quite a bit of it. Decide if it's for you. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for um, doing this work in the world and getting it out to help people because we could all use a little bit um, more calm in our life and techniques for bringing calm and peace. We so can be a lot more super-powered when we know we've got a braking system that will slow us down when we need to. It's exactly right with that trust and knowing there's something there that will help you. So thank you listeners. Thank you for being here for being really interested in improving your life and the life of the world. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 